On this episode of Office Hours, Tom Bilyeu, Nicole Lynn, Erica Nardini, Laura Wilde, and Brittany and Stephen Yang. The struggle is guaranteed. The success is not. He leans into opportunity. We also have a challenge where you're ruining my peanut butter or you're ruining my whiskey. They will make fun of you, but they applaud you now. That was powerful. The Barstool Fund, I think, is one of the best things we've ever, ever done. Barstool as a company has zigged when everybody else has zagged. David Meltzer hosts office hours let's go to this week's executive spotlight each week we'll be interviewing the top entrepreneurs and executives sharing their personal playbook to success and the lessons they've learned along the way stephen yang is a cambodian refugee and polio survivor who first burst onto the scene with his first restaurant the popular ob noodle house in san diego from there Yang would take his first steps at creating what the nation now knows as screwball peanut butter whiskey. Brittany Yang, a chemist turned lawyer, spearheaded one of the fastest market rollouts in the history of the spirits industry after she took her husband's wacky idea and turned it into a shelf-stable product and the beloved brand that would reach nationwide distribution in just one short year. My friends from Screwball, what a perfect name for a perfect show. Brittany and Stephen Yang, founders of Screwball. You know, it's so much fun because we have so many things in common. And I believe in synchronicity, I believe in destiny. From your personal relationships, to your business, uh, to your entire journey, there seems to be fate on your side. And I was wondering, how much do you feel that synchronicity and luck and fate have played in your journey, not only personally with Brittany, who you've known yeah. since you've been a child, like I have my wife, but also in business? Yeah, no, faith have a lot to do with it. Um, I was born in Cambodia, third world country. My parents just survived a whole genocide, lost their, grand lost their parents, a lot of their brothers and sister. And uh, essentially, that genocide, want, what they wanted to do was wipe out a whole community of screwball. Anyone that could speak up for themselves, do what they believe in, and stand up for what's right. And they were automatically murdered. And so uh, I was born in the mid-80s. When I was one years old, I just uh, caught a similar virus that's going on right now, like COVID. But that one contained polio. So I believe I'm still the youngest polio victim in America. Right leg became paralyzed overnight. My parents decided to drop everything. We snuck into a refugee camp and crossing landmines borders of Thailand. And in there, essentially a prison where we just stayed there for six years, stand in line for six food. Six years? Yeah, stand in line for food, stand in line for water pretty much every single day. I, I spent the majority of my childhood in, in essentially a prison. So love What was your mindset? You know, I read Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl. It's an incredible book that's changed my life, mm -hmm. right? Because it's just like, whoa, if he can learn to love to drink a fish head in a dirty bowl of soup. I can learn to figure this out myself, that all misery, all joy lives outside of me. I'm gonna find inside of me the meaning. At such a young age, did you have that Viktor Frankl mentality or what was your mindset? I, I think that uh, my parents have always been really positive. They'd gone through so much, but then seeing the strength in them, willing to do whatever they can to keep the family together. You know, and then are we prayed every day there's usually, I used to live right by the airport where the plane just go by every single time, but I didn't mind it because once a month, the plane will go by and everybody stop what they're doing. It's like the, an episode of Twilight Zone where they look up, hoping, praying one day they would be on that plane. So uh, we, our prayer got answer and we got uh, sponsor and end up in Ocean Beach, San Diego. You know, and then the couple that sponsor us saw we're all skin and bones. So would it give us baskets of food all the time, bread, fruits, 
and then peanut butter. And I was like, holy sh**, <laughs> what is this? Yeah. You know, and I just fell in love with peanut butter sense. So, you know, the, I believe in faith. And for you, Brittany, you know, obviously you guys were friends since you were young, <laughs> like my wife and I. Um, but how did synchronicity play a role? Uh, was your passion for peanut butter there or just for Steven? <laughs> well, I, I, I've always kind of said I've been the one that's always with him with like it's happening for a reason. I've, we have hit so many roadblocks along the way. And every time we were in the middle of something where we're like, how are we going to get through this? It was always for the better. We kind of met somebody and they were also in a bad time. And it was us coming together right at that time where we're both at our lows and bringing each other up. And so for us, that's always really been the way it worked. It seems like it's, we joke that we have the worst timing because we launched this in the middle of like a pandemic and a government, it was the largest government shutdown before that and all of these things that had come, but it ended up actually propelling it. And yeah, I mean, there's a higher possibility of us getting struck by a lightning in San Diego in the summertime than us succeeding in this uh, screwball peanut butter whiskey. I tell everyone, just being born has a greater likelihood of trillions and trillions to one just mm -hmm. to be born. So when we remind ourselves, recollect and remember how lucky we are, lucky things happen, yeah. which is what yeah. my point is on synchronicity. And for me, the synchronicity was all, you know, I'm very aware of what repeats itself. And Screwball to me just kept appearing, right? It kept appearing and it appeared with just accolades of everyone, you know, I have a home in San Diego and coming to my house and bringing this as a gift. Have you tried this? Have you tried peanut butter? You know, yeah. and it was so good, and it just kept reappearing. And then you two appeared in my, my life as well. And as great entrepreneurs, people who understand that sometimes the pain mm -hmm. is an indicator, they have a better place to be, a better situation. Uh, that it propels us, it doesn't punish us. Mm -hmm. What was the worst, most challenging thing in business that's happened? And talk me through how you turned it into your favor. When we tried to reach out to R&D team or trying to talk to someone about the bottles, the labels, the dry goods, you know, and then we, they're like, hey, this guy knows what he's talking about a little bit. And all of a sudden I told him it's peanut butter whiskey. Two things happen always. Either the phones slam, or I mean, now they, they just hung up. Or two, they put on mute and laugh their ass off and then come back and like, yeah, no. Not gonna waste my time on that. We probably make mistake three, four times over. Nobody wants to talk to us on this ridiculous idea. One, we also have a challenge, well, you're ruining my peanut butter or you're ruining my whiskey. You know, those two things doesn't belong. But again, it's faith. Like, that's what, you so. know, Lisa's peanut butter cup faced. You're yeah. ruining my chocolate. No, you're ruining my peanut butter. <laughs> See, you picked it up fast. Yeah. You knew that you put it together, it's gonna be perfect. But uh, there, there's, uh, there's this saying, um, you know, success is like pregnancy. Everybody congratulates you, but they don't know how many times you've been screwed. So, <laughs> Unless you have screwball. <laughs> yes. So, you know, but you just move on. You just move on. I think our main, our main motivation is to work together as a family. You know, usually a mom, at least mm -hmm. my wife, has stability more in mind. And every time I received no's or I, uh, unfortunately or fortunately, as I look at it, lost everything. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't believe my wife stayed with me, uh, one. But two, you know, gave me the support to have the mindset that I did, that this was going to propel me I into, you know, great shows like Office Hours and yeah. having great guests like you two at Ball. What was your mindset 
when the challenges came, knowing that you're pretty much in charge of the stability of the family <laughs> as, your, as his wife. Yeah, you know, you know for us, it's, it's kind of funny because we have a gender role reversal to some extent in our <laughs> family. So very I'm probably cool. the, the very calm ship. So we were pregnant when we first started this journey. More good news. <laughs> well, no, that, that was our first daughter and we started this journey. And then, you know, I have this young daughter and I, I just remember going to my dad and I had I was, you know, I had a master's in chemistry. I was working, I went to a great law school and I was working at a large law firm. This is like the dream for most parents, stability, like you said. And I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna quit my job and we're gonna do this peanut butter whiskey and the tears on his face of just like, what are you doing? Like, I, I, all I ever wanted for you was stability. Exactly like you said. It was funny because I talked to him and I don't know if it was the law school training or what, but at the end he's like, okay, I have one more question for you. And I was like, okay. And he's just like, why are you still there? <laughs> you need to leave, you need to do this. Everyone talks about risks in entrepreneurship. It shouldn't feel like a risk. You should have that confidence, like you said, that, that it's gonna prevail. I went to my mom who only believed doctor, lawyer, or failure, yep. and told her <laughs> after going through law school, borrowing all this money, getting a great job as a maritime a, a litigator for oil mm -hmm. and gas, making a ton of money, mm -hmm. yep. that I was gonna go sell legal research online in 1992, and she cried. <laughs> Uh, yep. It said, I, the internet's a fad, don't do it. <laughs> but I had my line back to her. I was like, you can always go back to being a lawyer. Exactly. You can't go back to creating a great company. Last question, beyond the incredible journey that you've been on as an entrepreneur for yourselves in the company, you actually have always put philanthropy even ahead of yourselves. And especially through COVID. When I read about what you were doing and how you were doing it, it immediately became my favorite company and my favorite, of course, whiskey already. Um, but why did you decide when things got really tough that you were gonna help other people that had it tough instead of yourselves? Well, we came from very humble beginnings, Brittany and I. Her, her dad was in the Navy and, you know, refugee camp, and then we lived in a car. I remember vividly that my brother and I would just go dumpster diving to look for cans or go into this phone booth and hopefully be find a quarter and stuff like that. My dad was that, that guy that was, like, pretending to go to work every day, and he's looking for a job for, like, six months. It, you know, we've gone through all of that. And now, with the success of Screw Revolving, since our national launch in uh, uh, fall of 2019, we have depleted two million flat cases. Wow. So... We are the fastest, well, like for a premium brand, the, f the most successful launch uh, liquor brand in history. And now with many people laughing at us, except for the Underwoods, who's just Dan Walker and Chris and Bern Underwood, who actually believe in this. And Dave Meltzer. <laughs> Definitely Dave. So, you know, now we, we're just a phenomenon. You know, fastest but to 250,000 nine liter cases, half a million nine liter cases. Now there's um, 45 knockoffs out there. Right. And originally, no one would give us a time of day for that. Are you coming so. out with the jelly version? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one, one day. It'd be but, a perfect uh, mix. <laughs> yeah, so once, once we saw that happen during COVID, you know, we, I mean, we, I've been in the restaurant industry for a long time. And we love to have fun. We work hard, but also we make 500 bucks that night in tips. We'll, we'll go and spend 450 bucks that night. So <laughs> That's why she likes you. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, we, we just start just 
uh, just writing checks and helping, uh, you know, cord children or restaurant employees, bartenders, gills. Uh, and then we're able to source a bunch of food package. That was in March where you couldn't get eggs, breads, peanut butter, toilet papers. So we, we put together about 5,000 bags and just passed out to the communities and then, and then started doing hand sanitizers before anyone else did and just donated to the, a lot of the hospitals and, and uh, service uh, first responders. And I mean, just see the tears of dropping us buckets of sanitizers. I think that was some of the most memorable time. And then writing a check is just easy. But then we decided to, you know what? Let's just go out on the road. So we built this shagging wagon, kind of favorite movie, Dumb and Dumber, and with, with shaggy carpet. And we drove across 40 states. Each, each city that we're in, we donate, you know, 5,000 all here, 5,000 here, or load the van with food and drop out the food banks. And just to see that being able to change someone's day without them expecting. So I, I think that was one of the greatest highlights. And Brittany, what did your daughter say when you were traveling around and through the 40 states giving away everything? <laughs> She's fine. Our our daughter is a humanitarian. She is. There's no. Yes, yeah, she she's very into equality and and giving. And so she's she is that person that that gives more than she'll take. And so I, it's they do what you do, not what you say. And so I think that that's what's really Kids amazing. Will watch you, not listen to you. That's for sure. I got four of them, and they're watching me now. So they're gonna behave. <laughs> they will laugh at you. They will scoff at you. They will make fun of you, but they applaud you now. I get choked up because you guys are so awesome. <laughs> thank you so much. No, thank the you. incredible thank you. Brittany and Stephen Yang, founders of Screwball. If you haven't tried it, you're missing out. You're out of the millions that have. So make sure you're looking on the shelf for Screwball. It's incredible. It's fun. It's tasty. I'm David Meltzer with Office Hours. Welcome back to Office Hours. I'm David Meltzer. And I'd like to first introduce the dynamic trio here, my co-hosts. Of course, everybody knows Jason Waller. He's the incredible CEO of Power Home Solar and the True Underdog Podcast, which you gotta get Tom Bilyeu who's coming up next. Absolutely. Gotta get him on your podcast. He's probably one of my top three downloads of all interviews I've ever done. And going on Impact Theory has probably been still years ago. People still talk about that interview. Uh, he got me to cry, that's why. Uh, that's not very hard. Who doesn't get you to cry? Mike Mamola, founding partner of Media Abundance, entrepreneur, speaker, great influencer as well, and humanitarian, uh, and specialist in NFTs, by the way, which might come up today. Yeah. And of course, the legendary sports agent on the end, the lawyer, the partner at Brown Rudnick, and humanitarian speaker as well, and uh, just a, a dear friend, Dave Marino. Welcome. Thank you, Dave. All right, now, the moment I've been waiting for to return the favor of one of the best interviewers I've ever met, an incredible entrepreneur. Everybody knows the Quest Nutrition story, but we want to know what Tom's up to now. Our first guest is Tom Bilyeu, co-founder of billion-dollar brand Quest Nutrition and the co-founder and host of Impact Theory. Tom Bilyeu, welcome to Office Hours. Thank you for having me, man. I'm excited to be here. You and I come from traditional business, traditional exits. We did well in the traditional sense and then threw ourselves as personal brands into the media world. How has your focus changed from when you exited the Quest Nutrition and decided, okay, I'm gonna do impact theory, this is my idea, this is where I'm gonna start. How has it evolved and changed 
through into COVID and now coming out the other side? Yeah, so when we started Impact Theory, we had a pretty clear vision of what we wanted to do in terms of what is the end goal. So we're trying to build the next Disney. And the question for us was, all right, that was founded in 1924. So what does that look like? you know, if it were founded in 2021. And obviously it's gonna be radically different. And we were really not sure what we were gonna find as we started to go in. We had a pretty traditional outlook when we started. We went into print comics, which is a traditional feeder into film and TV. Um, we started out building, you know, scripted and unscripted decks that we were pitching to the studios and really doing everything sort of by the book with the one exception of we understood the social game and putting out content. And of course, all the A-traditional stuff that we were doing just crushed, took off like a rocket. In four years, we built a social ecosystem of seven million people doing millions of dollars in revenue. I mean, just like crazy. And then the traditional side was like slow and I was getting so agitated. When COVID hit, we made radical changes, became a digital only studio um, and really have just quintupled down. And so we've ended up five-folding our revenue um, through COVID, it was crazy. Like as we abandoned sort of all traditional approaches and just said, okay, we're gonna do everything different. We're gonna start building platforms. Uh, we're going hard into the NFT space, which anybody that's not paying attention to that, I weep for you because this is that <laughs> moment. The change there has been dramatic. So end goal stays the same. Um, which put a really fine point on it is to make sure nobody gets to the age of 15 without encountering a growth mindset. Like that's our mission statement. But the path to get there has changed radically. Tom, that, that's excellent and, and congrats on all the success from Quest to what you have going on now with Impact Theory. You're so successful in one space, nutrition, so far away, so far left from media, television and comics, but now you're venturing into that space. What are the things that you learned from building Quest that you've applied to Impact Theory? And what are some of the things that surprised you going into another completely different sector? So the thing that surprised me the most is how much of business is the same. There's just a way that things work where it's created by humans for humans. And so that already puts you down to like only certain things are going to make any sense. And so it's what I call the physics of progress. So I've actually had the very good fortune of my career started in technology, built a multi-million dollar company there. Then it moved to nutrition, built a billion dollar company there. Now I'm moving into, and by the way, that was nutrition and manufacturing. So really as far removed as you're gonna get. And now into media, it's the ability to solve novel problems. We're living in a world where technology disrupts things so rapidly. If you don't know how to solve a novel problem, one that there's no YouTube video for, there's no book written about this. No one's ever seen this before. How do you, what's your NFT strategy? No one knows because it, it, the literal roads are being paved right now. And so if you don't know how to think through that, the thing that no one has seen, you're dead in the water. You know, Tom, I, I couldn't agree more with what Dave said in terms of two things. One, impact theory being one of my all-time favorites, and I agree, the best interviews out there. You hear your guests, you hear what they're saying, and you give back to them, and that's what makes it so good. That's on the individual level, but on the collective, also you have your finger on the pulse of what's going on. And when you mention NFTs, you're talking my language, I get that. So collectively, <laughs> what's going on in society? And most people don't yet know what a non-fungible token is. What is an NFT? You know, digitizing the real world and being able to conduct business with that. 
What is, is that the fear of the unknown that people have and how do you kind of get them into it to get them interested and what are you most excited about with regard to impact theory and NFTs? So we work really hard to acquire a set of skills and that set of skills lets us do something. And we get to a point where we feel like, okay, I've put all this energy into getting good at this thing. Now just let me monetize this, right? And there was a world where that was a real thing. Like you would go to one company, you would work your way up, you'd retire, get the gold watch. And now we're living in an era because of technology where consumer behavior is maybe the trickiest thing to recognize. Technology changes fast, and the reason that matters is it changes the behavior of the customer. And so now people get into this like, whoa, 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 I just dedicated 10 years of my life to get good at this thing, and you're telling me it's already outdated? Four months ago, I literally knew nothing about NFTs. I, I was like, what is, I don't even know what non-fungible means. Right. And then four That's months later, I'm, I'm being interviewed, <laughs> right? It's fascinating. Yeah. And so when you're like you and you lean into that and you get excited and whoa, there's this new thing, then all of a sudden you can make the transition from I know nothing to I can do something other people can't do because I now have a skill set they don't have. And to use a sports analogy, which I know Mr. Meltzer there is gonna love, my favorite quote is from Kobe Bryant and he says, booze don't block dunks. The best basketball players in the world were paid millions of dollars to stop Kobe Bryant from scoring. And yet he scored 81 points in a single game. That's not me misspeaking. He actually scored 81 points by himself in a single game because his skill set was so robust that he people couldn't stop him from executing. And that's the excitement that I come into a new skill set with. So I hear, oh, there's disruption, there's something new. I'm like, amazing, because if I go learn that thing faster than somebody else, once I understand it, I know what it does, and now I can go do that thing. Tom, you're obviously a, a impact entrepreneur, You know, someone that I, I look up to. I mean, you've built three companies in three different industries. But for new entrepreneurs out there, people just getting started, they see that you've won some awards and that you built a you know million dollar company, billion dollar company, and now you've got this skyrocket thing on NFTs, which I'm still trying to learn. But what would you say to those out there that are hitting failure? How do you overcome some of your failure? Because for all the awards and all the accolades that we're talking about, there were some dark nights and bumpy roads. Talk about those. Things are going bad, you're failing, amazing. Because failure is the most information rich data stream you're ever going to encounter you will never learn faster than when you're failing now why because one it meant that you were doing something and so actually taking action is far more useful than thinking through something and then second when you fail it hurts and that pain triggers areas in the brain for focus and memory so now you're in the middle of something your brain goes whoa i don't want to go through this again so let's make sure that we actually learn the lesson and as long as you go, I'm not going to experience this again because I'm going to get better, then you'll move forward. Because I'm willing to suffer, because I don't care if you're laughing at me, because I don't mind embarrassing myself, because I'm willing to fail over and over and over, I know one thing, on a long enough timeline, I can get amazing, truly world-class at anything. So what I had to learn was that one failure is incredibly valuable and it's about being able to self-soothe deal with the emotional turmoil that comes with failure, recognizing that failing doesn't make me a failure. And once you begin to tease apart that whole idea of why failure is so useful, um, then you begin to understand that this is just part of that loop. 
The only belief that matters is that if I put time and energy into acquiring a skill, I will actually acquire that skill. It may be harder for me than somebody else, so be it, but I will get better at that thing. And that thing has utility, which then lets me do things other people can't. And that is success. The struggle is guaranteed. The success is not. So you better love what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis because you may be doing it for the rest of your life. Too bad the name Impact was already taken because it's more than a theory. CEO of Impact Theory, thank you so much for joining us on Office Hours. Thank you, Tom. Thanks for having me, man. This is wonderful, guys. That was powerful. I do love what I do, but there's times I, I didn't love what I did. And I think people need to hear that, that if you're just unhappy in something, make that change, take that leap and, and, and bet on yourself. Do something that makes you happy and fulfilled. Yeah, and it, it will make you successful. No doubt that Tom is one of the most impactful human beings on the planet for all of the reasons that we heard. And what stuck with me is that he leans into opportunity, even if he doesn't know what it was. He said, four months ago, I didn't know what NFTs were. Now he's an expert. And most people, I think, inherently, when they don't know about something or don't understand, run away from it. You know, life presents opportunities. It's up to us whether we lean into them or run away from them. Align your skills, your knowledge, the desire with what's doing well today, what's stable and what you think is gonna do well and lean into it just like Tom Bilyeu, the CEO of Impact Theory. Stay tuned, we'll be right back on Office Hours. Next up, we've got Nicole Lynn, NFL agent and president of football operations for Clutch Sports. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. In the midst of my career, I ran a fairly well-known sports agency, a dear friend of both of ours, Lee Steinberg's agency. And uh, I learned a couple things. Number one, what it was like to be an agent. Uh, two, what it took to be an agent. And three, I didn't like being an agent. So I wanted to start with the fact that I am a white middle-aged male. I am the yeah. guy who, who went to law school, who loves sports, but was an average division three athlete. I was born to be an agent, uh, but yet you I were. didn't like it. And you had all the odds against you. And yet you are mm -hmm. one of the best agents that I know. Your reputation precedes you. You have the ability like Lee to be kind to everyone yeah. while you're working, which is an overlooked asset or capability of great agents. How have you been able to remain so kind when you know how competitive uh, it is to be an agent, let alone a minority woman agent uh, and a president of football operations for a huge sports agency as well? You know, what a lot of people don't know is that there's 900 certified NFL agents and only 1% are women. So there's not a lot of people that look like me in the business. And so I felt a sense of responsibility to make sure that I did everything right, right? Because when, when I'm in the room, in my mind, I'm thinking, if they have a bad experience with me, they're going to think this is how all women are. And so I feel like I'm speaking for the women in our industry. You know, the other part about it is I do everything with integrity. And I've got a lot of friends, like you mentioned, Lee, I love Lee. Like a lot of agents I compete with, but I believe we can all win. Right. There's so many NFL players, so many recruits. There is room at the table for everybody to win. There's a seat at the table for all of us. And so I treat everybody with respect. Um, 
And I think it's worked out for me. Nicole, I think mm -hmm. that's a great point. And I've actually seen you in action. And what she's saying is absolutely true. Just this year at, at the Clutch Draft Party, after Devonta Smith had his name called, Nicole's there at the party. Everybody's taking a collective breath of fresh air, but she's making sure that the family's good, that the menu's good, that she's, she's on top of everything. And I, I truly <laughs> admire you. <laughs> and no, seriously, it's, it was amazing to watch. Thank you so much for being an inspiration to young men, young women, to minorities, for, for, for being the, the pioneer of you know, really making an impact in, in the world of, of sports agentry as, as a black woman. It's tremendous. You know, there's been a dearth of minority agents, unfortunately, in a space that's dominated by um, black and brown talent. Uh, how has you know, something that's been a disadvantage in many other spaces, and I know you're a lawyer as well, how has being, you know, being able to relate to the athletes and their parents, how has that been an advantage to you in, in this space? You know, it's been, it's, it's a huge advantage because I can relate, like you said, to the players, but not just the players, but their family, the culture, the upbringing, I get it. And one thing I will mention, and I've talked about this before, you know, that's specific to the black players. I have never signed a white client and I have worked really hard to do so. You know, statistics show that there are very, very few black agents in the entire NFL with white clients. I, I can't name one. I know that there's at least a couple out there. And so although I can relate to many of the players, there are some that I can't even get in the room with. I've got one in the CFL, but that doesn't count. <laughs> That's what you do. <laughs> Congratulations on, on all of your success, and, and not just being a super agent, being an attorney that we just kind of glossed over, and former financial analyst, and all the things you've achieved. So incredible. And it reminds me, there, there's, a, um, there's a Japanese art form. It's called kintsugi. And it's the idea that when, when a vase is broken, rather than throwing it away, they put it back together and they solder it with gold or bronze or silver and they embrace its uniqueness and it's that break that actually formed the new better version of the vase. And I know that so much of your success you attribute to adversity and childhood, things that would have otherwise yeah. broken people permanently. You've put that back together. Tell us about some of that because I think that's so powerful in who you've become. I grew up. Um, below the poverty line in really tough circumstances in Tulsa, Oklahoma, really fending for myself, living in cars, uh, homeless shelters, raising my younger brother. So my upbringings were, were very difficult. I do think, and I agree with exactly what you said, there's something there that became beautiful kind of in the midst of, of trauma. You know, for me, I always believed I had some different level of grit than my peers. You know, there are people that work hard, but grit is very different. And I believe that it comes from my upbringing. You know, I didn't have a plan B. There was no option for me. Either I was successful or, or I was screwed, right? There's nobody I could lay, uh, fall back on. I didn't have parental guidance. I didn't have a trust fund or anything. Nicole, I, I can hear how enthusiastic and how strong-willed you are in what you do. And I think that, you know, Dave and everybody was talking about, you know, being kind and that's great. But at the end of the day, you got to represent your client. You got to bring your A game, right? You got to get in there and get the most, capitalize the most dollars you can for them to make sure them and their families are protected in what's fair. So tell me yep. on, on two sides of this, give us a situation of, of what you do differently than other agents, in your opinion, to get and capitalize those dollars. But also, how many times has you, have you had to deal with egos of some of the players? where you've had to step back a little bit and calm them back down in order to get the deal done. You know, when I'm negotiating deals, I lead with facts, right? You know, when you think about negotiation, there's there's persuasion, you know, there's part of it can be your personality, your tone, there's a lot of different things. But for me, I lead with the facts. The facts are X, Y, and Z. The big part about being an agent is that I will negotiate with several of these teams 
hundreds of times in my career. And I've got to keep that in mind. And so it's really critical that although I am firm, I'm still respectful and I'm still keeping kind of that personal relationship separate. Because if I get into a position with a team where they can't deal with me, that affects every single player that comes behind me. Mm. You mentioned egos with players. It's not even just egos, but it's more about, you know, we all feel like we are the best at what we do best agent, you know, best football player. And sometimes maybe our value, you know, when it comes to dollars, it does not align with what we think quite yet. And so I have to have hard conversations. Hey, I do believe in you. I think you're the best football player, the best at your position, but here's how the NFL values you. I've been around all the billionaires, millionaires, entrepreneurs, celebrities, athletes, and entertainers. And the one common denominator that they have is one that you possess, which is the spirit of excellence. And I so much appreciate that spirit and you bringing it here on Office Hour. The incredible Nicole Lynn, check out her book. Oh, Joey, yeah, all right. Nice oh, yeah. picture there. Oh, yeah, be yourself. I love that. Oh, it, it is an amazing book. Thank, I was blessed. Thank you, Nicole. I'll her. start, and usually I, I don't get into this, but I would say shame on, on some of the Caucasian players that come out because she's got it. Anybody watching this that may be in college that's you know, a white player should probably be like, be the first, be the face that changes that. Be the one who makes that change. Should That's they sign with Dave Marino or Nicole Lynn? <laughs> Unfortunately with her. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously there's a lot to love and respect about Nicole. And, and two things that Dave knows are true. What she said is very accurate. They're not, there's not a lot of love in the, the profession of agentry, and there are a lot of haters. And Nicole is someone that's abundant, and she believes that everyone can win. So contrary to what Jason said, we can both represent white players together and go very far because she has that yeah. abundance. I will tell you from personal experience, too, that I had mentioned some other, like Lee and Joel Siegel and Bruce Tolner, some of my closest friends that are agents, and all she had was positive things yeah. uh, to say. Uh, which says a lot about her. I am sure we have another incredible guest here on Office Hours. You've heard some amazing guests this episode. Now let's hear the takeaway of the day from Jason Waller, host of the True Underdog Podcast. I'm Jason Waller with your takeaway of the day. The most inspirational people on the planet are the ones whose emotion you can feel when they speak. If you want to be emotionally connected to your team and your customers, they shouldn't just feel your passion when you speak. Instead, that passion and energy should be coming out of your pores. Our next guest is Erica Nardini, CEO of Barstool Sports. Erica, it's so great to see you. How are you? Great. Great to see you. So much has happened since we've last seen each other, and I know you've had uh, some extraordinary things. Your podcast is awesome, Token CEO, and I really wanted to talk about the shift of Barstool from when I used to show up there in studio pre-COVID and a very specific type of content in which you guys were amplifying in such a brilliant way to now real big business and as a CEO I know that doesn't happen but for through you and, and David um, what were some of the major changes that have occurred from you know being you know this irreverent type of content into like real big business barstool sports it's kind of crazy that it's become this big business you know we don't we don't really think about ourselves this way when I got to barstool sports you know Dave Portnoy had created the brand in 2004 I joined in 2016 there were 12 guys, they blogged from wherever they lived. There wasn't a PL, there wasn't email. 
but what they had was everything, which was a really incredible brand and the best, you know, the best fans on the planet. And, you know, those first couple of years when I was at Barstool, it was really, you know, how, how do we legitimize this thing? How do we show the world what we're capable of? Um, how do we make more funny, irreverent content? How do we be as opportunistic as possible about talking about what's happening on the internet with great opinion and humor, which is really the core of what we do as a business? The business really followed, and the thing that I really love about my partnership with Dave and really what we believe in is that we always care about the consumer first and the fan and the content that we're creating. And then the business always follows if we do that right. And I think most companies get it wrong because they think about money first and they think about people after, and that doesn't always work. I think you're kind of screwed if you build a business in the image of what you think somebody else wants. And what we've done is really the opposite of that. Erica, one thing that's consistent with all great CEOs and all great visionaries is they have the ability to think outside the box. And I know you've, you come from a more traditional background in the investment space. What was it about Barstool that stood out when you made that jump? And what did you take from your previous world and add to this great outside the box thinking to make Barstool what it is today? Look, I've worked at really big established companies and then I've worked at a bunch of failed startups. And what's been really awesome and I feel so grateful and fortunate for fortunate about is that all of those successes and failures along the way and, and really the willingness to jump set me up to be able to see Barstool for something way, way, way bigger than what it was. And I'm grateful for that and I'm, I feel fortunate. I think when entrepreneurs can put themselves in a place where you have no choice but to figure it out and you have no ability to look back, that sets you up for creating a really unbelievable future. I think people spend so much time looking around them or, you know, overanalyzing what happened before or who came before them. And when I got to Barstool, you know, I was fired from every board I joined. You know, most people professionally disassociated with me because they thought I was making a bad decision. And to be honest with you, I loved it because it made things so crisp and clear where I had no choice but to make this successful. Absolutely agree with that. Hi, Erica, nice to see you again. Uh, and it's not only that willingness to jump off the cliff, but in order to build the plane on the way down, there has to be some semblance of organization and structure. And I've been to Barstool, I've seen you in action, and it's amazing, nothing short of amazing. So. Just to take a few of the incredible things that you're doing, um, you know, the Penn Gaming deal, 160 plus million dollar deal, and still more to come and more to come. Uh, an incredible podcast that offers an opportunity for entrepreneurs who don't necessarily have a business degree to, to get the knowledge and information they want. And then the Barstool Fund um, has raised, has gone out when COVID was shutting down businesses. You guys have gone out and raised money through a nonprofit, 40, I think $41 million, over 250 businesses saved, a quarter of a million supporters around the world donating money. And I can tell you, you know, I've sat on the couch with my wife and cried. I think it's, that is one of the best demonstrations of humanity I've ever seen. You have just, that's just three things out of the hundreds that you do. How do you manage that? What's your key to prioritization and time management? Because you're doing some really great things at a, at a really high level. Uh, thank you so much, that's so great. The Barstool Fund, I think, is one of the best things we've ever, ever done. I cried every single day when we were featuring yeah. companies and we felt really fortunate to be able to have a fan base that 
helped us help these companies. And, and that was really all we wanted to do. Um, you know, the thing I love about Barstool Sports is we kind of start it and then figure it out later. Uh, we launched something called Barstool Athletes a week ago. Um, we had 180,000 student athletes sign up to be part of the program. I have no idea what we're going to do with this, but we're going to do something great with it and we're going to figure it out. So we're really fortunate in that we have a company and I think positive people, which David, you talk about all the time and I follow you and I'm inspired by you is if you're focused on building something, the time goes really quickly and it's really fulfilling. And we don't spend a lot of time at Barstool Sports thinking about hierarchy or office politics or dynamics. Like I really wanted to create a company here where people are about the work and they're about making progress. Erica, I appreciate how you said you know, everyone kind of turned their back and disowned you as you went over to Barstool. You know, as a fellow entrepreneur, that opened up a, a few companies and, and people turn their backs on me. I can appreciate that. And I think a lot of the entrepreneurs that watch the show will appreciate that they need to learn that lesson that you gotta use haters as fuel and not let it hold you down. Mm -hmm. But you're a CEO and you have an entrepreneur podcast and I have the same. And I think it helps me in so many ways. Why don't you explain to everybody what the podcast does to help you as being CEO and what being CEO does to help you do the podcast? I never wanted to be a podcaster. Um, you just find yourself making content. And that's what I love about the internet. And that's what I love about media is just anybody can, can do anything. For me, I was very tired at Barstool Sports of having other people tell our story. I had gone to Los Angeles and I found myself in a position where I was basically selling a reporter on why a reporter should cover Barstool Sports. And I got her. I was like, okay, I got her. I sold her. Um, she's going to do it. And then she went to her editor and her editor was like, no, I'll never cover that. Or I'll only cover them, but I want to cover it with this angle. And that was happening time and time and time and time again, where no one wanted to feature the business story of Barstool Sports, which I think is a freaking incredible story. And so eventually I was like, screw it, I'll just tell it myself. And what I really believe is that you can be yourself and be successful. I've never been happier than I've been at Barstool Sports. I've never been more fulfilled or more creative or had more energy. And the reason is, is because I can be myself at work. I love that. That's yeah. awesome. Well, it's no doubt Barstool's playing chess while even the NFL plays checkers. Uh, and I just love to see how that all unwinds itself. Thank you so much for joining me on Office Hours. Thank, Thank you. you, Erica. Thanks, Erica. Thank you, guys. See, Thank see you. you soon. Bye. I love Barstool. Yeah. So do I. One of my favorite people. Right. I mean, that's a real business. Yeah. And she does what all great leaders do. She takes action. And, and like she said, jump off the cliff, build the plane. You don't always know exactly what you're going to do, but you'll put it together. Yeah, it's no surprise to me that, that Barstool was attractive to Erica. Right? Yeah. Barstool as a company has zigged when everybody else has zagged. Yeah. She went from a traditional space and decided to, to go left when everybody told her to go right, leave money on the table, go somewhere where the culture fit her personality, where she knew she'd add value. And I think for everybody out there, it's okay to be yourself. It's okay to follow your path and do things the way you want on your terms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's a master builder like in the movie, Le the Lego movies, you know, where they put it together. <laughs> it's fine. We have another fantastic guest coming up next here on Office Hours. I'm excited to hear from our next guest, Laura Wilde. 
zone coach, and holistic mental performance specialist for elite performers. Laura, it's so great to see you. Great to see you too, Dave. I bet, you know, the demand, not just from elite performers, but from anyone who wants to perform to accelerate and grow during challenging times is starting to realize that uh, they need some help, right? The mentorship involved in mental performance. What led you to the path of helping people with their own mental performance? For yourself, was there an evolution or an education that you received of the importance of mindset? I always noticed that what I thought and saw I could do in my mind would come up a little bit short. You know, I believe I was, you know, meant to be an Olympic gold medalist and a better basketball player than I was. And in my mind, it was there, my body didn't catch up. So when I was 17, I was reading the power of positive thinking. So by the time I got to college and was playing basketball, I knew a lot about my mind and how to train it, but I didn't quite know the stuff I know now. And I realized that if I had, all those dreams would have come true. So now, you know, my other dreams come true by helping people get there. Laura, that's amazing. And, you know, I think back to when, when I played basketball, when you played basketball, when Dave played college football, you know, Dave tells stories about how his, his pop one football coach came and rattled his brain and said, Dave, you're not doing this right. What impact does the, the tough coaching have on athletes from, from, from a young age uh, moving forward? And then also, you know, what consistent things are we seeing with athletes in terms of mental performance that they're struggling with? Because these are folks that we see have the ability to wake up every morning, buy in, be consistent, be team players. So what sort of things are, are they struggling with and how do you help them? Yeah, it's interesting because I had the coach who'd say, we're going to run until I'm tired. And I, my nickname was Vanilla. So, I mean, those, those funny things, right, that we'd all hate each other. And one, one time my best friend said, oh, my bad, when she did something wrong in practice in college. And the coach, that song, Michael Jackson's song, I'm Bad, had just come out. And the coach said, oh, I'm bad. Okay, so you're Michael Jackson. You guys are going to run the rest of practice. So that definitely had a negative impact on me because... I, I didn't reach my potential. And what I noticed that the guys and girls, like the women and men like today, is someone who can have that conversation to get them thinking to the next level. And screaming and yelling, thank goodness, doesn't work anymore. Laura, what do you do t for yourself? Because you're, you're coaching at the highest level, the elite athletes in performance. But what do you do for yourself? Because at the end of the day, you're human and, and life gets in the way for you, but you have to... In, in a sense, put that to the side because you have to be there and bring your A game so they can bring their A game. So what are your tools and techniques that you use for yourself so others can do the same? Uh, well, for myself, what I love to say is I let my biology affect my psychology. So I let my eyes see positive messages all the time. I let myself hear positive messages. I'll record myself, play it back. I listen to all kinds of positive things. I smell money to make sure I remind myself to be prosperous. And I'm on call for myself 24 seven and I require lots of mental performance coaching. So I make sure I'm surrounded by positive messages. Awesome. And I feel you can't afford the luxury of a negative thought, right? Yeah. And there's a book like that. So I call I, that. I, I smell money from sitting next to Jason. I just want to make that known. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's not true, Laura. Don't believe what they're telling you. It's not true. Laura, I, I'm, as an entrepreneur and running a company, I sometimes get in a bad spot. I'm one that yells, right? I, I, I'm lacking gears. That's why I seek mentorship. That's why I work with David, right? He tells me, stop, drop, and roll, because I go one, two, ten, like that's it. I'm ready. <laughs> and there's no gears in between. So what would you say to someone like me or some of the viewers out there, some steps or tools that we could utilize 
to slow it down and not get to that point. One thing that I have had players do is make sure they go on the back channel. And even though they may have this yelling moment that you have that soft, quiet moment before or after where you actually get really connected to the person. But one of the things I've done is have people ask questions like players who say, you know, I can't stop being negative when this happens. And so I have them ask what I call a metaphysical question. Who or what do I need to become in order to react better in, you know, in the, in the stress moments of the game? Something like that, because your subconscious mind will start working on that and get really creative. It's a very personal way for you. So I think you can actually really change your mindset by asking a question outside your own mindset. You are incredible. We certainly appreciate it. Anyone that is interested in improving the six inches of real estate that exists between your ears, the incredible holistic mental performance specialists for not only elite performers, but even the average everyday performers. Enjoy your life. You give meaning to everything you see. And I will tell you this, Laura, you give great meaning to my life. And I certainly appreciate you coming on Office Hours. Thank you for having me. I love this segment. You guys are great. Appreciate Thank you, Thank you, Laura. Laura. Thank, Laura. You. Thank you. Thank you. I'd be worried if I were one of you three guys because I'm thinking, which one of these guys needs to be uh, Dave Meltzer off the bench? Because uh, <laughs> he'd be a great host, don't you think? Yeah. yeah. Awesome. This was great. I mean, you know, she has great personality and what she's doing is a great thing because everybody has stuff yeah and we all forget you're not invincible you're not bigger than life everybody has stuff and i think that she helps bring those people back to realize how do we cover and get through some of those things and i think it's fantastic it's been an incredible episode i want to thank jason waller mike mamola and david marino i'm david Meltzer here on Office Hours. Now, a quick word from our JA Impact honoree partner, presented by Screwball Peanut Butter Whiskey. Junior Achievement Worldwide prepares young people for employment and entrepreneurship, delivering hands-on experiential learning and work readiness, financial literacy, and entrepreneurship. The recipient of the JA Impact honoree is selected based on their mission-driven values and have the opportunity to align with Junior Achievement Worldwide through their 100 million plus alumni network driving awareness to their brand through junior achievements millions of entrepreneurs looking to make an impact on the world i'm steve yang co-founder of screwball whiskey at screwball whiskey we understand the importance of giving unconditionally and that certainly rings true for erica nardini ceo of barstool sport erica barstool sport founder dave portnoy and the team have raised millions of dollars to help businesses struggling due to COVID. Barstool Infamous Pizza Review helped draw millions of people to small family businesses. Based on our own humble beginnings in the restaurant industry, this is truly a cause we could get behind. Congratulations, Erica, on being this week's Junior Achievement Honoree. Thanks for watching this week's episode of Office Hours. And a special thank you to our featured co-hosts and guests for joining today's episode. See you next week on Office Hours.